Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Allsport.com and Allsport Magazine, I'm Kevin Turner, and this is the Allsport Podcast. So we've got a special edition of the Allsport Podcast today, um, because uh, after a year away, the Aston Martin Allsport BRDC Young Driver of the Year Award has returned for 2021, and we have recently announced the four finalists uh, that will battle it out in uh, Motorsport Vision Formula 2, Garage 59, uh, Aston Martin GT3 and BBM Sports Ginetta LMP3 machinery uh, and they are Ollie Beerman, Johnny Edgar, Louis Foster and Zach O'Sullivan. And joining me to talk about the process and uh, those four drivers are two special guests. The first is a uh, fellow judge on the award uh, and long-time uh, commentator Ian Titchmarsh. Ian, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thanks very much, Kevin. Good morning, good to hear from you. Yes, it's, I'm looking forward to this one, something uh, we've not done before, actually, for the award. Um, so we'll, we'll do a few more um, award-related podcasts over the next couple of months. And also joining me is uh, magazine deputy editor Marcus Simmons, who is our current BTCC reporter, but I think it's fair to say he's also something of a junior single-seater guru. So welcome, Marcus. How are you? Very well, thanks. I mean, as, as you say... Um, covering the BTCC at the moment, so a little worn out after uh, two back-to-back weekends, one of which was uh, almost in Norway, um, Croft, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, yeah been, been following the junior single-seaters as, as closely as I can, 
um, this season and you know as in previous seasons. So uh, so yeah, very uh, very interested to to see what happens. Absolutely, yeah, and that's always a highlight of my season. Um, so I'm going to start with start with you, Ian. Um, it was fairly recently that we had our um, our big meeting where we got all the judges together. Um, Derek Warwick is the is the chairman of the judges, but we've got a good panel of experienced judges as well. So Ian, could you just give us a bit of insight into how we choose the finalists and what you're looking for when um, yeah when you put your four uh, four favourites forward? Well, when we come to the choosing the we have a long list and then a short list. The long list was ten. We look at various single seater categories, which is the focus. Single seater racing is what this is all about. And therefore we're not really looking at drivers who are doing well in touring cars, sorry Marcus, or in GT racing or endurance racing. It is essentially about single seater drivers. These days that quite limits the choice. There's no longer some categories like Formula Renault. Formula Vauxhall and so on, and Formula Ford is not at the level it used to be. We are limited in choice. And also because of the effects of both um, Brexit and COVID, there are fewer young British drivers racing in Europe. They have to be British uh, for the purpose of winning this award. There just aren't that many racing. So it wasn't the case of Hobson's choice in arriving at the, the 10 uh, on the, the long list, but it wasn't as difficult as it is in some years choosing that 10. Uh, and what we're looking for principally is somebody who, based on what we've seen in the past from previous finalists, has the potential to go beyond uh, racing at the level he's at at the moment, or she's at at the moment, and move on up into higher categories of single-seater. And ultimately, which is the, the exercise for us, uh, to find the next British Formula One world champion. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's probably fair to say the award has been pretty successful. It uh, started in 1989. David Coulthard was the first winner. And since then, some of the big names, obviously Jensen Button was an award winner before going on to win the F1 world title. Uh, Lando Norris and George Russell were two of uh, the more recent winners. Uh, and we've also had people like uh, World Endurance Champion Anthony Davidson's a former winner. So it's quite a quite an illustrious um, sort of former list of winners. Prize for this year, prizes this year include £200,000, which obviously is quite useful uh, for the drivers stepping up to uh, to another another the next step. So let's start with uh, start with Marcus um, with the with the first driver, um, Ollie Beerman, who obviously we've not been able to see very much in the UK. Sixteen um, year old, but he's leading. Uh, both the Italian and German Formula 4 championships, which are probably the two strongest series at that, at that level, would you say? Totally, and, and it has been that way really since, <clears throat> since FIA Formula 4 began. The German and Italian championships have um, a lot of the teams that we see at higher levels of, of European single-seater racing, um, your, your Premers and your Van Amersfoort racings, etc. Funnily enough, well, Paradoxically, you might say that the the Italian Championship has the numbers, thirty cars plus for each round. But the the German is weaker numerically, probably about sixteen to eighteen. But it is regarded as the more competitive because they use the same Tatus chassis, the same Abarth engine, the same tyres. Um, it's it's a relatively simple thing for the for the competitors in one championship to go and do rounds of another, um, and um, that has happened. Uh, over the over the past few years, since um, 2015, when the German Championship uh, came onto the scene, uh, the Italian was the first FIA F4 Championship that began in 2014. Until now, nobody has actually won both championships in the same year. We've got Oli Beerman leading leading both championships, um, and he's um, he's in his sec- second year 
of the German series. Last year, he, he came in in 2020, um, and the intention originally was for him to, to do a car testing program along with um, the final year of his karting career, but he actually ended up racing in the German F4 Championship instead with uh, US Racing, the team of Ralph Schumacher and um, Gerhard Unger, the former AMG Mercedes boss. And then for this year, he switched to Van Amersfoort Racing, uh, the Dutch team, and um, he's um, 78 points in front in the Italian Championship, 49 points in the German. And both of, both of the uh, championships, the runner-up is the same guy as well. It's uh, Tim Tramnitz, the young German driver. Um, and Tramnitz isn't doing all the Italian rounds. It's a, been a little bit easier for Beerman there, but um, the season's been tremendous for him. The, the, the team really, really rate him. The team love working with him as well. They, they say he reminds them, um, personality-wise, he reminds them of Callum Eilot, who the team ran in the European F3 Championship in 2016. And um, we know what a lovely young chap he is, so uh, so that's a good recommendation. Um, and he, yeah, he just seems to seems to be ticking all the boxes and winning a lot of races. I uh, interviewed him last Friday, actually, for being a becoming a BRDC rising star. And he reckons that the top of Italian Formula 4 is actually more competitive. There's a, a large number of drivers who perhaps might not rate as front runners, in Italian, which is hence the, the large number. But he would say, you might say he would say this, wouldn't he? Because he's actually um, winning that, or he won more races in the Italian F4. But he reckons that's more competitive than Germany at the top. Well, he should know. So <laughs> it depends on who you speak to, really. The, um, yeah, my... My uh, friends at Van Amersfoort say the the German Championship is possibly a bit stronger, yeah. but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. but then again, you you've got <clears throat> um, I mean you you've got a good point because um, in the t Italian Championship he's up against um, Sebastian Montoya and um, Leonardo Fornaroli, the young Italian going well, who aren't really doing much of the German Championship. But then again, in the German Championship, you've got uh, Tramnitz, who's not focusing on the Italian, even though he's runner-up in, in it. And several other, uh, it was a couple of couple of strong French drivers as well. The, the, the other thing about Oli is, of course, he's got the broadness experience beyond Formula 4 and what began the season as BRDC British Formula 3, but is now GB3 in association with BRDC. He's done a few races in that, and he's won once in that. So he's been not unimpressive in that category as well. So although normally, and Kevin can probably confirm this, Formula 4 drivers tend not to be looked at perhaps with the same interest if they're purely Formula 4 as if they've done F3 uh, in one shape or form. Uh, I, I think Oli Beerman has helped his cause by doing those races in what is now called GB3. I think we have seen that because of the downforce levels and the step up in power, quite often a Formula 4 level driver getting into the the MSV F2 car and um, you know that that sort of power and downforce they do quite often struggle a little bit they're, they they do get mm. sort of get there eventually but they usually start off a bit behind everyone else but I think that a combination of the fact that Ollie's done you know probably the two best F4 championships in the world and the GP GB3 outings I think he'll probably be better prepared than 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 any F4 driver that we've seen for for some time so I'm quite excited to see uh, how he gets on and actually he, he did say something quite interesting to me 
when uh, I had the good fortune to ring these four drivers up and tell them they were um, yeah they were they were in the award, which is obviously always a nice a nice thing to do. And he he was pretty pretty enthusiastic um, and actually very mature for sixteen as well. But one thing he said that he was looking forward to was actually the GT three car because when he's racing an F four, he he supports GT three series quite a lot so he, he gets to see them a lot he races them on iRacing and sims as well so he's quite intrigued to see uh how what it's like to drive which i thought was quite quite nice and also it's good good for us because um although of course that a lot of the award is is on the f2 car you know we're looking at a single seater award as as he had said before i think it's always a good test to throw these drivers into something they're less familiar with and i think ian if you know if you think back to former winners quite often the standout performance actually comes in one of the one of the other cars doesn't it well absolutely i mean you can go back to lando norris in the dtm mercedes uh was amazing uh, and he wasn't the only one uh, go back to alexander sims who's now a judge um his performance in, in the dtm car was pretty impressive was very impressive and more recently tom gamble was impressive wasn't he in the in the lmp3 car um, so those cars certainly help towards arriving at the winner, um, even if the main focus uh, remains still on finding a single-seater superstar. Absolutely. And of course, it's also quite often good for the drivers that perhaps have other career options later, if for whatever reason they yeah. don't make it to the top of single-seaters, to have that experience in GT3, which there are probably more professional racing drivers in GT3 than any other category in the world, I should think, at the moment, um, or sports car racing is, is is a good thing to have for them as well. Um, but I, I'm going to stay, stay with you, Ian, as we, we move on to the next, the next driver, Johnny Edgar. So kind of a different situation with him, and this is where we have to factor in both the level of the championship that we're looking at and because of the special circumstances of not having an award last year. Obviously, uh, Johnny Edgar was effectively in a similar situation last year to Ollie Beerman in terms of he was a real star in F4, but he's made the big mm. leap this year into FIA Formula 3, which is really two rungs up the ladder, I would say, um, and he's had quite a tricky a tricky time. Um, but I'm quite intrigued to see him. We were letting FIA F3 rookies in. So, yeah, how do you how do you rate Edgar's last, last sort of couple of seasons in? The problem with this year has been, and we try to look at it, take it into account, is he started the season pretty well. He was a, had a fifth and a sixth, I think, didn't he, in the early races, um, allowing for the fact that it's quite a jump, as you say, Kevin, to, to move up from Formula 4 into uh, the current type of FIA Formula 3. Uh, and uh, the, the season seems to, I don't know whether Marcus could shed any light on this, but the second half of the season, his results have really been quite poor. And we are giving him, as you've just said, Kevin, we're giving him some considerable credit for what he achieved in 2020. It's traditionally a very difficult thing for for drivers moving straight from Formula 4 to FIA Formula 3. If if you just want to look at the the absolute uh, raw championship position statistics, uh, Johnny Edgar has ended up finishing 18th this season. Mm. Um, having won the German Formula 4 championship last year. Um, last year, Dennis Hauger, um, who came in as the reigning Italian champion, and yeah, we, we've established that Italy and Germany are very much on a par with their Formula 4 championships. Um, but Dennis Hauger finished 17th last year in his rookie season out of Formula 4 um, and has this year obviously gone on to, um, to win the championship quite convincingly in his second season. And, and what... What tends to happen is that when those young lads are competing in Formula 4 in Europe, there is, 
there is very little restriction on the amount of driving they can do. They can do they can do lots of testing. They're they're racing all the time, um, especially if they're doing both championships as um, as Johnny Edgar did last year and as Dennis Hauger did the year before. Um, they then end up moving into a championship which is incredibly tightly controlled on the amount of mileage you can do. Very very little testing. Um, you go to a race weekend and you get one relatively short free practice session straight into qualifying where you're suddenly dealing with tyres that only have a peak of, of one or two laps. It's an incredibly tough thing to do. The, the, the standout driver who, who actually mastered that in recent seasons is Theo Pulcher actually, who was, the, who was the German champion in 2019 and then, um, and then obviously starred very much last year in his rookie FIA F3 season. But, um, but, I, but to go back to the point, I, I don't think that we can write off a driver based on a rookie season in FIA F3. Um, the, 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 only thing we can, uh, the only thing we can hope is that they, uh, they, they get the support, which in Johnny Edgar's case is obviously um, Red Bull, um, to continue for a second season and, and really show us what they can do. And, and the other thing is, I've, obviously Johnny has spent this season with Carlin, who, uh, much as they're a powerhouse across the general single-seater industry, I think that Carlin would probably be the first to admit that, um, that they haven't had the success uh, in in that champion that championship that, uh, that that they would expect in in other series and uh, certainly <clears throat> since FIA Formula Three began in its current form in in 2019 um, they um, they haven't really um, had good results although looking back to the previous era of uh, GP3 um, of course they took Alex Lynn to the title in 2014 so um, the team hasn't had the form recently you you then unlike Carlin in Formula 2 or Formula 4 or you know, their other programmes, they're not going to be top of the, um, the, the pecking order on the driver market. Those, those drivers are going to want to go to Prema, ART, etc. So it's kind of a vicious circle. Just by way of explanation, um, to, to clarify the point about the eligibility of somebody who's racing Formula 3, um, we, we've said that anybody who is in his first season or her first season uh, in current FIA Formula 3 remains eligible, hence that's how Johnny Edgar is, is eligible. Um, whether we're getting a fair representation of their ability in their first year is another matter, but we don't carry it forward into the second year. So um, Johnny, for example, wouldn't be eligible um, in 2022, um, but he is eligible this year, despite having moved up into what is something much more powerful than the old two-litre F3 cars, which is where we find the uh, Euro Formula, of course. Yes, which does bring us on quite nicely to the the next finalist. But before I do move on to that, I just want to also probably worth pointing out that we do, where possible, also speak to team managers and people involved. And we did Derek Warwick did speak to to Trevor Carlin, who was you know very fair and honest about where their car sits. And to back up Marcus's point, you know they know they're not running a you know at the front of FIA F3. Uh, and he 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 rates uh, uh, Johnny and and did admit that the machinery perhaps hadn't been underneath him the second half of the year and he expects him to stay in F3 and probably be a front runner next season which of course will be a you know a, a good test of where he's at so um, yeah looking forward to seeing uh, Johnny Edgar but in the 
uh, old F3 machinery, as it were, which is in the Euro Formula Open. Um, that's where uh, Louis Foster has been uh, a championship contender, although he had a terrible weekend just before his announcement. Um, he was actually at the airport when I rang him, hopefully brightened up his day because he had a, a weekend where he'd not scored any points. So the championship is kind of probably a long shot now. But Marcus, obviously, second in the Euro Formula Open, had a brilliant weekend at Spa, um, and he's got a decent, um, yeah, decent uh, record prior to 2021 as well. So, yeah, what do you make of uh, what have you found out about him? He's an interesting one, probably probably the most left field, I would say, of the of the four finalists. Um, and uh, and uh, first of all, I, from talking to Motorpark, basically, he uh, the the Crypto Tower team with which Louis Foster is driving this year is is Motorpark's. Uh, satellite second team. Uh, well, not not second team. It's it's equal to the motor park team, but it's just to satisfy championship registrations that teams can only run a maximum certain number of cars. But um, but uh, you were lucky to get him on the phone actually because he's doing so much travelling. And the and the, the motor park consensus is actually that he should be leading the championship. Um, he's been he's been very impressive this year. Um, he's been adapting to tracks superbly. Um, he's, he's he's bang bang on the pace in the car right from the beginning. Uh, his racecraft is is superb, and they they believe that that is um, a legacy of his background in in British single seater racing, where it's where it is quite cut and thrust. But he's just had bad luck this season, and um, and the the other thing that's potentially playing against him at the moment. I mean, the Monza weekend just gone was a complete disaster and he failed to score a single point but he's um, he's in the process of relocating to California to go to university there. That's one of the reasons why I, I remarked that he was a left field choice because um, because he's actually from next season his focus is going to be to try on getting to try to get to IndyCar. Um, so he's, he's going to California to, to go to university. He's back and forth establishing himself there he has got a lot on his plate at the moment. He was at Monza at the weekend. He has he had lots of books with him. But obviously, there's a very good meritocracy on the road to Indy ladder, where if you're champion in Indy Pro 2000, you then get a free seat in uh, in Indy Lights the following year. And then if you're champion in Indy Lights, you get a scholarship of I can't remember the exact figure, but it's over a million dollars to go to IndyCar the following year, which which won't which by no means will cover the whole season, but will at least Get you three or four, three or four um, events. The the irony is is that um, Louis has been competing against two Americans in uh, Euro Formula. Cameron Das, who's the who's taken a fairly clear championship lead after Monza, and um, Jack Crawford, who has had to miss a couple of rounds because his priority is FIA F3. Um, but he's been very, very quick and very impressive in Euro Formula whenever he's done that. So, so you've got a British driver who's um, who's flying back and forth across the Atlantic, and you've got two uh, American drivers who are safely ensconced in Europe and able to uh, focus fully on their racing. The Euro Formula series has has been um, yeah they, they introduced the new Dallara 320 chassis last year, which was the uh, which is the, the as close to the old philosophy as. Of Formula Three, um, as as we can get, uh, but with the halo and um, and obviously yeah, those, the old philosophy of Formula Three is um, just superb car for training drivers and and um, but the difficulty has been um, just getting numbers onto the grid. So um, so it's it's 
been it's been a slightly uh, slightly under the radar championship. Um, grids around 15 cars, certainly by no means as successful as uh, the newly merged Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, which grew out of the previous Formula Regional and Formula Renault Euro Cup. So. Um, so it's been it's been a little bit overshadowed by that series, and um, and also um, as I as I said the uh, the fact that Louis Foster wants to move to the States and uh, tries to get to IndyCar. So um, yeah, it was for those reasons really. Where he's going isn't relevant to being chosen as a finalist, and it's unlikely also to influence the decision. If, if he is the standout driver of the four, uh, then he'll win the award even if he doesn't have a clear plan or he has a, a left-field plan, to use Marx's phrase, for 2022. Um, the, the important thing is that they um, have shown both during the seasons leading up to their choice, their selection as a finalist, and then their performance in the finals that determines whether they should win the award. Where they go then, it's up to them and their advisors. And, of course, having, having um, you know, Dario Franchitti... Uh, as a former award winner, I don't say I wouldn't say is a, is a failure, given that he's won four IndyCar titles and three Indy 500s. So yes, very happy to have drivers going over and being, you know, doing the business in the states, even if they don't yeah. get to Formula One. I would say that's absolutely the right philosophy to have that it shouldn't impact at all. Um, it's just um, it's just unusual. Uh, you, you mentioned Dario Franchitti. Um, obviously, when he won the award, he was uh, he was carrying on in Formula Vauxhall Lotus in, in England for another season. It's unusual to, uh, I would suggest, to, to get an award finalist who's already, uh, think, who's already targeting a step away from the Formula One ladder um, and onto the American one. But, um, but that, that's not to say that he'll forever race in America, obviously, because, um, because it's, it's not unknown for, uh, for drivers to succeed in America for two or three years and then come back to Europe and... Um, and forge a very successful career over here. Isn't that partly a, a consequence of the way single-seater racing at the higher levels has, has evolved over the last few years since Dario's day? Uh, it's one of the reasons why I'd be so appreciative of Aston Martin's in, uh, input of so much more money than was available in previous years uh, to, the, to, to, to go to the winner. But a career choice as a single-seater driver, it's either Formula One, you follow the path, by Lewis Hamilton, although he was never in the award for reasons we could discuss. Um, but also George Russell and Brandon Norris uh, were winners of the award. But going to the States, and you've just been talking, Marcus, about the career path that is possible to a really successful driver up into IndyCar racing. It's a byproduct of the times we're living in and, and it gets the gates to Formula One become ever more closed. The gates to the top feeder levels become ever more closed because then the, the budget to race in FIA Formula 2 and even FIA Formula 3 are absolutely horrendous these days. So um, yes, yeah, yes, the, yes. The, fact, the fact that we see so many uh, British drivers going off on, on different uh, adventures in their, in their uh, quest to become a professional driver is... Um, is a legacy of that. I actually find it quite interesting as well. Look at the average age of a GT3 or GT4 driver these these days. And uh, a decade ago, you would have you wouldn't believe it. So many young drivers switching over to different um, different areas of motorsport, and um, because it, it is becoming more and more clear that Formula One is such a difficult destination to reach, and um, and and the the professional 
career is there if you if you want to position yourself and and work very very hard to to get there. One final thought on uh, on Foster before we move on to the final uh, final uh, finalist <laughs> is of course if we factor in uh, and he actually made this point himself when I spoke to him is that he was disappointed that the award didn't happen last year. Um, because he was third in in what was then the BRDC F3 Championship, and he quite rightly thought he would have a quite strong case to make it into the award then. So given um, how well um, the finalists in recent years have done from that championship, I think that was a a fair point. Obviously, our last two winners have come out of BRDC F3 slash GB3, um, which brings us nicely to the the final finalist, which is Zach O'Sullivan. He's... I mean, he's within touching distance of winning the the GB3 title with Carlin, uh, and he was very close to winning um, the British F4 crown last year. So, Ian, I think you've probably seen quite a lot of of his races. For me, he was one of the easier picks because of his record this year. And what have you made of of, of Zach so far? Very impressive. You make the point that uh, whether it's called BRDC British F3 or now GB3, that category, those cars devised by Jonathan Palmer and his team, um, have shown themselves to be uh, almost the ideal uh, training ground. This isn't a bit of PR. This is just simply the way it has been over the years that this category has uh, thrown up uh, some really, really good drivers. Uh, and the way that Zach has um, delivered the season, he, he hasn't won that many races, actually. He's only won five races at the moment, but he's been on the podium another seven times. A bit like Clement Novelak, who won the championship a couple of years ago, I think he only won one race, the most two, the French driver. But he won the championship by being consistent, consistent, consistent. And so the the question mark for me over Zach is not not a question mark raised by anything other than the way things have been in the past is, um, has he got the ultimate pace? Very consistent. Uh, and he does win, well, as I say, five times. He does get on the podium on those on many other occasions. Will he have the pace? We'll see. Absolutely. I was going to say that's one of the things I find most most fascinating about it is you get these drivers from the different categories and in fact just to go back to your point about the the good drivers that have come through gb3 brdc f3 and of course brdc f4 before that when it started that was the question mark we had how did it compare to formula renault which was traditionally where the top finalists would normally yeah. come from and of course we got the answer in our very first year with george russell um who came out of brdc f4 and and yeah i mean it's, it's to no one's great surprise uh with hindsight in particular he was he was very good and won it and the, and and the drivers from that championship in its various forms have always done done very well. So I'm interested to see Zach. Now, uh, to Marcus, are you surprised at how well he's done this year given the British F4 championship, the step from that into the higher level of cars is sometimes sometimes a bit tricky for people, even the guys that do really well. Are you surprised that, that Zach has been so strong in 2021? It is harder to, to measure up the... British drivers of the domestic scene now than it was back when Formula Renault existed because of course we had Formula Renault UK but there was also Euro Cup, Northern European Cup, um, Formula Renault Alps etc. So so you could directly measure the drivers in, on the UK scene against against those from uh, from Europe when, um, when the championships came together at, at the same event. Um, but um, Going back to Zach O'Sullivan and the step from British F4, no, I can't say I am surprised. He he had a very successful 
first season in single seaters last year in British F4. He, it was possibly the unluckiest way to lose a championship I've ever seen. Mm. Um, because yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was a battle with Luke Browning, who I think is a, a tremendously talented driver. And it, it was a it was a great fight between the two of them last season. And and um, the uh, and it all came down to uh, to the timing of a red flag in the in the final race and and uh, and the awarding of half points. And and of course, poor old Zach thought he'd had enough points to win the championship. And then when the when the it became a half points race, he didn't. So. Uh, but and, and this year, ironically, it looks as though it might be the most underwhelming way to finally clinch a championship because um, I'm sure I'm sure MSV when they wrote the regulations with uh, with the bonus points for making up places in reverse grid races can't have can't have anticipated a situation like this. But uh, but he's he's all but done enough math- mathematically. But it it depends how many entrants there are for the final round and uh, and therefore how many places you can make up from the back of a reverse grid. So. Um, so he'll be he'll be sitting at home um, and uh, working out whether he's won the championship or not when the entry list comes out. But uh, uh, but yeah, I, he has done he has done very well this season, and uh, it has been British F3 or as it's now called GB3 has been a quite happy hunting ground for um, for British F4 graduates. There's a very clear logical progression from from one series to the other. There, I, I'd just be um, I'm just going to be intrigued to see what he does in his first season out, outside the UK next year and um, whether that's whether that's in FIA Formula 3 or whether he goes to Formula Regional or Euro Formula I don't know but uh, um, yeah it will be it will be very interesting it is quite a step um, from from the UK scene because we are a bit out of kilter with the rest of Europe at the moment um, GB3 is a very indigenous class which uh, in any other country so um, we Isn't saw... it called taking control of your borders? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether that's good or bad is a podcast for another day. The inter- interesting one um, who Ian mentioned was Clement Novalak. He had a had a big struggle when he went FIA F3 last year off off the back of winning uh, what was then called the BRDC British F3 Championship. But um, but this year in his second year, um, he's he's not been the quickest in in qualifying. But but whenever you're watching a race. Uh, you see Novalak coming forward, and then and when it gets to the second half of a race, you think, you think, right, something's. He's one of those drivers. You think something's going to happen here, and it's normally good. It shows that perhaps like those graduates from um, Formula Four that we spoke about earlier, that it is a bit of a jump for people making the the step from the British scene into FIA Formula Three, um, and that yeah, you know, we can only hope that beyond their rookie season they get a second opportunity to do that uh, but but yeah going back to Zach O'Sullivan if that's what he does next year it might be difficult because it will be his first first season outside the British scene um, but uh, yeah there are other categories he can move into as well and yeah we can see British F4 champion Zane Maloney of 2019 doing very well in um, Formula Regional this year and drivers from the British scene can eventually succeed. Kevin a question for you because you like your stats I think this year is probably that we've had the youngest four finalists ever. We've got two 16-year-olds, a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old, and I can't remember having any quite as young as that before. It's a, it's a, it's a way that drivers could end up, if they don't succeed, burning out and having to find themselves a proper career before they're 20. Yes, we're seeing we're seeing drivers. I mean, Max Verstappen is obviously the extreme example, and actually the FIA have made moves to make sure that, that 
doesn't quite happen to that extreme again with super license points and things. But yes, I think we have seen drivers generally getting uh, younger and younger and younger. You'd like to think there's got to be a sort of minimum limit which um, they won't go beyond. And I know there are debates happening now about just how young a driver should be when they're able to step into single seaters. Um, but we we've seen you know the really top drivers. They're just so mature when they get there. I mean, George Russell's incredibly mature. Uh, when he when he arrived, you know, Lando Norris wasn't quite such a complete package, but he was, you know, as you said, and he jumped into the D. You know, I think they looked at him when he walked into the garage, and they went, "Is he is he actually the driver?" Because uh, he looked so young, and he jumped in, and of course he was amazing. So it just doesn't seem to phase these these drivers. And of course they've got simulator work; they all do their homework now. The level of professionalism is very high. You know, when I was chasing Ollie Beerman to tell him that he was a finalist, he couldn't get back to me. Not because he was at school, which used to be the case; it's because he was he was in the sim preparing for a Monza test and going to the Saxon ring. So yeah, all all, all these drivers, you know, whether they make it to F one or not, they're already operating at a very high level. Uh, and they they invariably yeah they really it, it's always astounding how well they how well they do I think across the two days at Silverstone. Going back some years now, you'll remember this. It was a final. It was a final that took place at Snetterton, where it was for a few years before it came back to Silverstone. Um, and there was one finalist who was very quick and carried on with a career, but he turned up for the finals totally unprepared, just for a couple of days driving <laughs> racing cars around Snetterton. He hadn't really given any thought. Because that's how it was. And this was only about, what, 10, 12 years ago. Hadn't really had to give any thought to, to preparing for it. Uh, and those who had prepared had done little more than ring up their mates and say, what are the things you should do? What do you think about? What, how should you handle yourself? It wasn't really all this science and training and goodness knows what else goes into them from quite a young age now. Yeah, that's that's very fair. And actually, I know I know who you mean. I've always thought of him as a British Kimi Raikkonen uh, 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 in that respect. Um, but he was beaten, of course, by somebody who did come very well prepared and who was had a very professional approach to the whole event uh, and has gone on to have a professional career in motorsport. So, um, yes, I think that, that sort of shows you that the bar has moved in the last sort of ten or fifteen years for these for these young guys. Just to sum up, then we've got Ollie Beerman. Johnny Edgar, Louis Foster and Zach O'Sullivan as our four finalists for 2021. They will now, over the next month or so, be uh, involved in uh, sim and fitness tests um, because we try and do a a holistic approach, um, the health side, and the simulator side is now very important for professional drivers, so that's an element of the award. And then the real, for me, the real meat of the of the test is the two days at Silverstone in those three cars. It's quite a high pressure for those drivers, but hopefully, uh, hopefully they all enjoy it. And then uh, after that, hopefully we'll be able to hear from each of them uh, how they got on and what they made of the process ahead of the announcement of the winner at the Allsport Awards on the nineteenth of December. Um, and if you would like to hear more from them and their immediate reaction, it's in uh, the 30th of September issue of All Sort Magazine, which also happens to be the Hamilton 100 special. We haven't talked much about Lewis Hamilton for obvious reasons in this podcast, um, but we've got a special issue uh, marking his 100 F1 victories, uh, and uh, as well as Marcus's fine report from the BTCC at, uh, at Silverstone and the announcement of the four finalists. So thank you uh, very much for listening. Thank you to uh, Marcus Simmons and Ian Titchmarsh for their insights into the process and the junior single-seater ladder. And we'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.